Hi, this is Chris Nessie from the House of EdTech podcast. Welcome to the Google Teacher Podcast Archive. I used to produce and edit the Google Teacher Podcast, hosted by Matt Miller and Casey Bell. You can enjoy the podcast once again, and be sure to visit the new website, chrisnessy.com slash googleteacherpod. Please note that any of the show note links mentioned in the episodes are no longer valid, but if you go to chrisnessy.com, dot com slash Google Teacher Pod, you can search the archive and check out the show notes for each and every episode of the Google Teacher Podcast. Thank you for your continued support, and may the Googles be with you. And I say in 2018, if you're not hearing from every kid in your class, you're probably not doing it right. And what I mean by that is Welcome to the Google Teacher Tribe podcast, your source for the latest news on Google for education, tips, tricks, and teaching ideas you can use in class tomorrow. And here are your hosts, Matt Miller from DitchThatTextbook.com and Casey Bell from ShakeUpLearning.com. So in a recent episode of the Google Teacher Tribe podcast, Matt and I were discussing all kinds of googly things, but uh, specifically how Google Slides is sort of like the Swiss army knife of the G Suite family. And then we went moved on to Google Keep, and I, I can't remember if Matt was kind of calling it another Swiss army knife or something. I think I did, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, no, 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 no. That Swiss army knife was taken that uh, we and we needed another word and just Sorry, off the top that one's of my been head. Claimed, mostly, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was like, mostly just because I had just bought one. I was like, no, I'm going to I'm gonna dub Google Keep as the Instapot or Instant Pot, as it's properly called, mm-hmm. uh, of the G Suite tools. And so, uh, you know, and in my mind, I've been thinking about that all week. I've been getting ready for some presentations at TCEA, and I actually made some images of the Instant Pot and of the Swiss Army Knife for my slides presentation, for my Keep presentation. So... Matt and I are getting ready for this episode, and lo and behold, he throws in this image that looks just <laughs> like the images I made in my slides. I'm like, Matt, are you looking at my stuff? Like, wh- what are you doing? Where'd you get this? And Craig I thought Cle- I was in trouble. Clement had just tweeted it out. So thank you, Craig. You, you and I were on the same wavelength uh, sharing that, uh, but I thought that was hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was fun. I saw that. And I think my, my immediate reply to that was, oh, that's definitely going in the show this week. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is right up there with uh, Jeremy having us camping out at Google. <laughs> yes, that's right. Roasting marshmallows on the Google lawn. Exactly. Yes. Yes. So uh, yeah, we, we've always got some, some great uh, metaphors and analogies here on the Google teacher tribe, right? Yes. Yes. That's our goal is to entertain, inspire and equip and you could call this entertainment, I suppose. <laughs> Maybe. It depends who you ask, I'm sure. <laughs> right, exactly. So, Matt, what what are we going to talk about in this episode? It's not Instapot recipes, is it? 
No, I don't think so. I don't think we're going there. No, we have a great interview with one of my favorite people. Uh, we're going to be interviewing Holly Clark, who wrote the Google Infused Classroom, along with Tanya Avrith. And so we're going to be talking to Holly all about you know using good, solid teaching, making thinking visible, amplifying student voice. These are the the kinds of things that that she writes about. And so she will have just a ton of good stuff to share with us. Of course, we've got Google News and updates. We. We've got feedback from the tribe and some blogs to share. All right, Casey, you got your Insta pup plugged in and ready to go? <laughs> it's ready. Let's let's throw some stuff in and get going. Okay, so to continue with our, our corny instant pot theme that we have going today, Matt. I'm going to throw in our first ingredient in the Google News and Updates. How's that? Oh, well played. I love it. Nicely done. I feel like we need like our little guy with the drum and the cymbal in the background giving us the... Yeah, that. Yeah, I can't do sound Carol effects Knight, either. So waitress. <laughs> thank you. So our first uh, Google News and Update, this one has pretty much dominated social media over the past few days, and that is the ability to now publish Google Sites to a specific audience. Yay! So a lot of people have been asking for this. It's It's been a highly requested feature, so now you can actually go in and add um, specific collaborators and groups so that you can just share it internally with the people or students or, or teams or whoever that you want to share it with. And so, you know, we're, we've got the the full link to the, the blog post with uh, some screenshots so you can see exactly how that works. But uh, let me give you the quick and dirty here. Just click on your little person that has the plus sign and then you'll be able to in, invite those people and add more people and add groups as well. So specific people can view when it's published, not just as a collaborator. So that's sort of the difference there. Yeah. Yeah. And I know I've heard some clamoring for this option. So I think some people will be very happy about that. Of course, I don't know about you, but um, so often I'm always encouraging people to just, you know, take a lot of the the work and the things that they do and make them public if at all possible. But if you have one of those use cases where you really need to just share with a, a specific group, this will make it possible. So yes. And we, we did get a question, uh, a direct message from Matthew Dill on Twitter. And so Matthew, shout out to you because you asked this question and I was sort of encouraging you to publish, but now you actually have the ability to just share it internally too. So thanks for that question. Yep, absolutely. Uh, second on our uh, list of ingredients in the Instapot, <laughs> see, I'm still going there, <laughs> is um, it has to do with Google Photos. And so I know that taking photos a lot of times it can be a daily thing in the classroom. And if you have the Google Photos app installed on your phone, um, as I do, what I love about it is that it automatically uploads those photos into your into your Google Photos account so that you can search them. Um, you can download them from basically anywhere, um, makes it easy to share and all that. And so Google has given us some tips for using Google Photos, just some, some little reminders. And one of them does have to do with uh, sharing. And whenever you've got the, 
Google Photos app open, it even gives you suggested sharing. So it will, you know, give you suggestions of people who might be in those photos that you might want to send it to. And of course, the other thing that's nice about the Google Photos app is that it automatically uploads everything to the cloud. So when it's there, as long as you have an access to it, either through Wi-Fi or uh, through data, like cellular data, then you don't have to save all of those pictures on your phone. And so it gives you a really easy, I mean, there's, there's basically an option in the side menu that says free up space and it'll delete all of those copies of those images off of your phone so that you can just access them online. And then it also makes organizing your images really, really easy too. Um, because, and this is something I love is that it makes everything very searchable. You've got the search bar at the top and it lets you search by face, by location, because all of your pictures are geotagged. And, um, so it does make it really easy to find there. Too. So if photo organization is a thing in your life um, in the classroom or outside, then if you haven't checked out Google Photos, then that's probably a good idea. Absolutely. I, I think the the Photos app for your own personal mobile device is a must just because of that backup. Um, mm-hmm. Just having that auto auto backup is, is worth the trouble. And of course, being able to share those photos. I don't know about you, but when somebody that it's usually somebody in my family that, you know, oh, we're going to share all our pictures. I'm like, just put them in an album and put them online. But no, everybody, it's too big to email. It won't go through on text, you know, like going through all of that. I'm like, nah, no, there's a better way people. Let's, let's try this. So I uh, love Google Photos. And I'm seeing a lo- this used a lot more, I think, in the classroom too, with the integration now in Drive as well. So moving on to our next ingredient, we are going a little bit deeper here. So Google had a blog post on the keyword blog titled Tailoring Education for the 21st Century Perspectives from Educators. And this was all about a a study done by the Economist Intelligence Unit, which was sponsored by Google for Education. And the report is called Fostering Exploration and Excellence in 21st Century Schools. But they pulled some fabulous data out of this. And um, really, this could take up the entire episode if we dug into it. So uh, I'm going to give you a, a little bit of a, a brief synopsis here. But one of the top findings was that teachers should use a range of strategies to effectively deliver what stu- students need to learn. Right. Yeah, we all know it. We may not always do it, but we know that. Mm-hmm. Number two, technology can best support teaching strategies by promoting interaction, engagement and communication. Yep. Check. And they've got a great little infographic here inside the blog post as well to help you kind of see um, some different things that have come out of that data, including personalized learning and cognitive activation, et cetera. Um, Autonomy matters when it comes to teachers. Uh, Budget constraints are a barrier to innovation. Yep. I feel like these are things we know, but getting it on paper to prove it, I think, is pretty powerful. And then the last one, number five, was educators are divided over how fast to innovate. Yes, I believe that. Yeah, it, it is. And it's it's sort of a conundrum. Well, does everything have to be innovative, I think, is also part of that question. So these are yeah, and these are these are a lot of those big questions that, that we have to kind of wrap our brains around as we go forward. So some good data in there. The last one, as we put the lid on the instant pot <laughs> and we close it up and get ready to start cooking. We have some news about expeditions, about Google expeditions. Of course, this is where you use uh, virtual reality and Google Cardboard and, you know, things of that sort to be able to take students on 
these kind of like immersive field trips almost. And um, the folks at Google who wrote this post said that one of the things that they hear the most from teachers is that they would love to be able to create their own expeditions. And now there's a beta program to let you do that. So now it is going to be possible to create your own expeditions, these immersive tours, 360 degrees. And so basically you can, you can create the images, you can add little annotations. I mean, there's a lot of tools that you can use to make them just the way that you want. And then you can push them out to your students and take you on these tours. So it'll be interesting to see since we're in beta, it's still very early. So if you're interested in doing that, we have a link in the show notes to go check it out. And we'll be fascinated to see the direction that teachers take this. Yes, the the transition, I think, from using 360 that already exists was created, developed by, you know, developers and then the ability to create it, not only for the teachers to create their own lessons, but hopefully to get this in the hands of student creators. I love so I'm really interested to see how 360 is going to grow over the next year. Yeah, me too. And of course, if you want to get to any of these links, you can head to the show notes at googleteachertribe.com slash 41. Well, Tribe, I am super excited to get this interview started because we're going to be talking with one of my favorite people and the author, co-author of one of my favorite books, too. Um, this is going to be Holly Clark. Uh, she co-wrote the Google Infused Classroom with Tanya Avrith. And, uh, you know, we just did the Ditch That Textbook Digital Summit, our um, my online uh, conference for teachers. And uh, Tanya and Holly kicked off the summit and there was so much discussion going around about the Google Infused Classroom and some of the ideas that we talked about in there that we we thought, you know, we've just got to get her on the show so that we can chat about some of this. So uh, Holly is an award-winning educator and speaker. She's based in San Diego, where it's a lot warmer than it is in Indiana right now. Uh, she is an educational strategist for the EdTech team, internationally recognized keynote speaker. If you follow her on Facebook, you can see all of the pictures she posts from all of these exotic places. And um, I really, really, really like the way that she just thinks about education and the changes we need to make. So Holly, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks, Matt. And I must say it's a mutual admiration society. I love both you and Casey. So this was a pleasure and an honor for me. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> we were saying that at the same time. Yes. And, yeah. and for those of you who are like, Wait, Holly, Holly Clark, I know that name. You may also know her as Holly Clark EDU because that's her handle on Twitter. And if you're anything like me, I kind of learn people by their handles. And that's why sometimes I get called Shake. So, <laughs> so follow Holly. She is amazing. And yes, we are super excited to have you on today, Holly, and hear about all of the wonderful things that you have already done and the things maybe that are on the horizon for you. You know, you've got this book called The Google Infused Classroom, and the subtitle is A Guidebook to Making Thinking Visible and Amplifying Student Voice. So maybe you could tell us, you know, why you guys thought that this title and this subject was such an important one that you needed to write a book about it. One of the things that Tanya and I noticed, because we've been in this kind of, we'll call it technology game for a while, is that sometimes people were using the technology in their class to do what I like to call 1985 teaching. So you get a device and maybe you have kids take notes while you do a PowerPoint. 
And um, we really wanted to provide something that would help them rethink how they use devices in their classroom around these three concepts. And the concepts are using the devices to make student thinking visible, to give every student a voice, and to allow them to share their work. So when you use that framework, you can rethink, like, I got to do this um, project on the book Wonder. How can I have the kids make their thinking visible about what they're learning. So that's kind of what we talk about and why we wrote the book. And I think that's so appropriate for our audience today, too, because, you know, even though we do have sort of a Google centric theme and and your book even has Google in the title, but we're all the time talking about, you know, just good ways to improve instruction and and great strategies. So could you share a little bit about maybe that first part on making thinking visible and what kind of tools you use and how you make that transition in the classroom? Yeah, so this has been like really big for me. I I got my first one-to-one classroom in the year 2000. So it kind of has given me 18 years to wrap my head around this. So if it seems like the things I'm saying are like, oh, that's really cool. It took me 18 years. So (laughs) this comes from a labor of love. One of the things I really like is this idea that we have some really good pedagogues out there, like Ron Richard, who's talking about making thinking visible, and Carol Ann Tomlinson, who's talking about differentiation, and UBD with Grant Wiggins and Jay McAtee. And now that we have these great pedagogues, how do we take that and use technology to now amplify it because it's 2018? So we go back to Ron Richard. He's doing Making Thinking Visible, doing amazing things where kids are showing what they know and really thinking through the process and talking about it. But we have computers and we could do this using things like Flipgrid, Google Sites or Google Slides. And it doesn't have to be all Google all the time. You can bring in other things and maybe pass it out using Google Classroom. But using this amazing pedagogy and now technology to uplift it. So that's kind of what we're talking about in that making thinking visible. And if you think about this, Matt had on his ditch summit thing, he had, um, I forget her name, Matt, we were talking about her the other day. It's just because her name's unique. Oh, yeah. Uh, Dr. Pooja Agarwal. She's the cognitive scientist who spent some time in the K-12 world. Yeah. So I I sometimes forget her name, but I don't forget what she talks about. And she talks about that kids um, need to like kind of dump out everything that they're learning and, and like put it, like show all of these things that they just, um, they just discovered in their learning. And so I used Flipgrid the other day to have kids do that at the end of something we were doing on colonial times. And I almost cried when I watched these Flipgrids because the things that they could retell that they had learned and in that process of the cognitive dissonance of having to come and rethink and rethink and, and, and retell those things, um, you could tell they were learning and I was able to assess their knowledge. So it was like this thing of beauty. I was Uh, It was so great. I love that. And, you know, when I think back to the discussion that that we had through the, the digital summit where we got to talk about a lot of these same things, one of the quotes that I kept seeing pop up on Twitter, Holly, had to do with that idea of giving every student a voice. And you said something kind of like, if what you're doing in the classroom doesn't let you hear from every single student in the room, then you're doing it wrong. You know, not to not to be polarizing about this or anything, but I think there's a lot of truth in that. So what do you think about that? How can we use technology to hear from every kid? And why is that so, so important? That quote is, I, d- I don't want it to be polarizing. I want it to be motivating because back in the day, like in 1985, I like to pick on that uh, year, my teacher would... Um, 
would ask us a question and we would raise our hand and there would be five kids who are extroverts who wanted to, um, to uh, answer the question. And so she heard from those five kids. And I say in 2018, if you're not hearing from every kid in your class, you're probably not doing it right. And what I mean by that is we can hear from all kids in a flip grid. We could use an app like Socrative to say, okay, everyone answer this question. And in that moment, you can make their thinking visible and hear from them. And you can do it in sometimes in under two minutes flat. The Flipgrid I was talking about, I did that on the fly and it took like five minutes for all the kids and they got to do the making thinking visible and I got to hear from each and every one of them. And I think that's important because as an instructor, I need to know where they are in the learning process to be able to affect their learning more positively. I love Flipgrid. It's really sort of shifted the game in terms of of getting students to publish and to share. But along with that, like you said, with the introverts, and I am an introvert, you know, when someone puts a Flipgrid online and they want me to share, I'm hesitant. And it's not because I don't like to share. It's because I don't like to get on video. So do you have, do you get any pushback from that? Do you see that? And then uh, how do you address that in the classroom? There's something about taking that computer and going off into the corner that feeds the introvert in them. And and I think because these kids are Generation Z and they were born into a world with social media, they're not as uncomfortable on video as, say, you and I are. I'm supposed to record a video for this book group who's doing something on Google and Fuse Classroom. I haven't done it for a week because I need my hair to be right. I need to like, <laughs> think about it. And they're not that they're not that way, right? So right. it's weird. My fifth graders, and they're 10 years old, not a one of them comes to me and goes, Ms. Clark, I don't want to be on video. Isn't that unique? That is very unique. And, and you know, and like you said, you're really going to hit um, all the students. And I, and I love that you shared that they go sort of into their own space because I think some teachers are wondering how to manage those tools as well. Like how do you, you know, if everybody's recording at once, sort of the, the management side. The, the other question I have, sorry, this is totally on the fly, but because Flipgrid is like on fire right now and everybody's wanting to try it. How Hashtag do we keep Flipgrid it? Fever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 How do we keep it fresh? I mean, like if every teacher starts using it for everything right now, then the kids are, then it's, you know, it's going to get old. So how do, how do we keep it fresh? I thought the same thing. I thought they're going to get sick of this. And I still have my kid or, you know, the kids that I'm, I'm working with, they are begging for it. And I had someone come up to me at FETC and I wish I would have, I, you know, I was in the middle of book stuff and whatever. And I wish I would have just like recorded what she said because she had this idea of she was trying something different where the kids had to up each other on the flip grid and they had to come up with a, like a, let's say a statement and the other kid had to come up with a better statement and the other kid had to come up with a better statement. I don't remember what she said and I wish I could find her, but it's this sharing of ways that we can up the flip grid to not just always be like, here's what I read today or, mm. you know, so I yeah. think that's how we're going to do it. I like that. And you know, that, that also reminds me too, that, you know, kids do get, burned out on using the same tool over and over again. But I think it's because they get burned out doing the same thing with it over and over again. Yeah. And I think right. some repetition with the tool is not a bad thing because it breeds familiarity. You're comfortable with that tool when you know where all the buttons are and you know what all the features are. And so when you get that familiarity, then it's not, you're not losing instructional minutes and you're not losing like brain power on figuring out the tech. 
But whenever we do the same things with the same tools over and over again, I think that's where the burnout is. And so if we're able to make little shifts, like instead of doing the video by yourself, do it with somebody else. Instead of giving your own personal opinion about something, why don't you describe something with many details or, you know, just putting those little twists on it, I think can make all the difference too. You just brought up a really good point that I think is super important in our discussions in 2018. And that's the difference between digital literacy and digital fluency. And digital fluency says that the end product of what we're doing is going to be a certain thing and kids can get to that end product in any way that they want because they're so fluent in what we're doing. And right now, I think kids are digitally literate. They know how to get on an iPhone. They know how to get on the computer. They can get to Google Drive. But what's the fluency? And so I think that needs to be the discussion for 2018. And really quickly, it kind of leads me to something else. Like the next book that's coming out is called The Student Voice Infused Classroom. And and I focus on five apps or we focus on five apps in that because I really want the fluency in, in the classroom. Instead of always going to these other apps that come and are shiny bells and whistles, I'm just focusing on the five that I've found work well. Yeah, I love it. Well, I, you know, I have to kind of come back to the book, like I said, because if you haven't actually seen this, you have to see how it was designed. So uh, this is very brilliant, by the way, <laughs> on how you designed, um, you know, the front side says start here for pedagogy. And on the back side, it says um, the special section for tools. So this is like the perfect marriage of, of pedagogy and digital tools and trying to figure out how to use these things meaningfully in your classroom. And so I just wanted to give that a shout out to the listeners, because if you haven't actually gotten your hands on this book, it is very unique in the way that it is designed and practical and full of ideas and strategies. Thanks, Casey. You know, there's another part of it that that I always come back to. This is probably, this may be my favorite part of the whole book, um, because we we get into this this section called 10 characteristics of our learners and you just mentioned generation z a little bit ago and so it kind of lays out all of these characteristics of kids who are from this generation and how they're similar or different to us and it talks about how they've never known a world without smartphones tablets and social media they talk in images they're social entrepreneurs and like learning to have meaning and purpose and they prefer to do hands-on and interactive projects And it goes on to say, you know, their social circle is global and they like to create. I mean, it kind of goes on and on and on. And um, so, Holly, how do you think that preparing learning, preparing teaching, preparing the classroom for Generation Z, what are some of the key things that you think we've got to remember to, to make it personalized to them? Well, we have to remember that they're connected and they want to be connected and that they want to they want to live outside their comfort zone. So where we kind of learned in a comfort zone, they want to push the boundaries and they don't want to do it bad. They just want to like the kid who's 15, I guess he must be 17 or 18 by now, but his name is Nick DeLucia and he um, he created the news app Sumly which it gives you little summarizations of things that are coming in in the news because he just was in school and thought that that would be a better way to do a report. And he sold that company to Yahoo for $30 million. Like they see that they can do that stuff, right? We need to like be the talent scouts in our classroom who are like, Ooh, you're really into that. Go for it. Instead of, um, no fit inside this 1985 box. And, And so that's what I'm kind of trying to get at there. 
one thing that we struggle with, and I think this will be one of the big, difficult problems for us to wrap our brain around as we go forward in education, is to figure out how to do those kinds of things. Like, how can we let kids pursue their passions? How can we let them develop their own unique talents? Um, how can we give them some choice? You know, how do we do all of that within the confines of the traditional classroom? But how do we do that within the confines of um, standards? So, Holly, do you have any thoughts on that? When I stop worrying about standards and I ta- I start worrying about critical thinking and collaboration and communication, my kids do better on those standards tests than they do if mm-hmm. I, you know, that if I focus on it. Absolutely. Because learning itself has changed, even though our tests have not, <laughs> you know, that yeah. I, I don't think that it's it's anything uh, different that we're doing our students a disservice if we don't accept that fact and help them have these more dynamic learning experiences that connect to things because memorizing the information is not going to help them. But if they already have those critical thinking skills, if they already have all those things in their back pocket, they can still figure out the answers to all of the box tests that we give them. Two things need to happen in school. You need to leave with a love of learning and an understanding of how you learn. That's it. Very good point. I like that. That's awesome. In fact, maybe that's a good place for us to wrap up right there. I think that's like drop the mic, walk away type of thing. So we, we need to bitmoji that. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Well, Holly, thank you again so much for, for making some time for us for this episode. And again, the Google Infused Classroom, if you haven't checked out this book, it is full of wisdom and great ideas. And Holly, we will be super excited to see what else happens with you and Tanya going forward. Well, thanks. And thank you for having me because I love you guys. Oh, thanks, Holly. Thanks so much for, for being on the Google Teacher Tribe. Okay, Tribe, here comes one of my favorite parts of the episode where we get to hear from you. So today we've got a great mixture of shares and questions from the Google Teacher Tribe. And the first one comes from Mr. Blight. And he shared on Twitter his choice board, which I thought was great because he gamified his choice board. So he is using this in his retailing class, which I also thought was interesting. We don't get a lot of uh, these other electives shared, but it was such a great uh, visual to see this. So he did share the image and the link to the tweet is in our show notes. But he did the the tic-tac-toe and sort of did what I always did. The middle square was my non-negotiable. And so he's got a lot of great little activities in this choice board. And then the rewards are earning points. And that's how it's sort of gamified through it. So in fact, it looks like there's uh, some dollar signs associated with those experience points as well. So to make that extra engaging, but that middle square says selling yourself the art of personal branding. And he has them listening to a podcast and reflecting on that. So some great ideas that you can pull from this, no matter what you teach. I I really like this idea. I love love learning menus and choice boards, but to see it gamified is super fun. Yeah. And the fact that he added in some little icons to go with all of them, you know, it's that like verbal visual mix that I totally, totally love and your brain loves too, actually. So, so yeah, that's a, that's a good one. So thank you so much for submitting that one. We have a question 
So Jenny O'Sullivan sent us an email. She's from Boca Raton, Florida, and she is a K-5 STEAM teacher at the A.D. Henderson University School in Boca Raton. And so here's what she says. She's an elementary specialist and she has 18 classes. I can only imagine having 18 classes. That's got to be an organizational nightmare. (laughs) And so she says, to avoid having my younger students type out their very long email addresses. Can I get an amen from the tribe on the long email addresses? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Each time to log into Google Classroom on the Steam Lab computers. So to avoid all of that, she says, I have assigned each student to a computer. My problem is that Google only saves 10 email addresses for quick login. Those are the email addresses that have logged into that device that are still there. So she asks, is there an extension or a hack or a workaround to allow us to save all 18 addresses for quick login? And Casey and I were talking about this, and this is, uh, I mean, this is an issue. This is something that we've heard a lot of teachers talk about, and we don't have an easy answer for that one. The best thing I could think of is to have the youngest ones save their email addresses and maybe have the older ones type, but that's not even really an extension or a hack or a workaround. So Casey, what do you think? Yeah, I tend to agree. I mean, definitely the older ones should should be able to do that, but it is still a pain. And logins, unfortunately, used to take a big chunk of my time in the classroom, and it was very frustrating. So I feel your pain. I don't think we have a magic solution. However, I think the tribe might have some better answers for you. So we wanted to put this out there and and let us know what you're doing. If you have this problem with uh, you know multiple kids signing into a device and having to to, you know, type in or whether you've got those those terribly long email addresses and usernames to get all of that in. What's your solution? How do you make it work in your classroom? Yeah, so we'll be fascinated to see what all of you come up with. So, Jenny, we're hoping that the tribe is going to come to your rescue. So our next share comes from Alex Adams, and he shared this on Twitter. And I have to tell you, Alex, I started cracking up. So, uh, you know, the goo in the loo, PD in the loo, Google in the loo, Google in the bathroom, whatever version of this is really uh, catching fire right now, I think. But what what really, really spoke to me was I looked down and I see that it's PD in the loo. And lo and behold, the Google Teacher Tribe podcast logo is on this one. And our names are here. Matt, we've made it. We're on a bathroom wall. (laughs) We're on a bathroom wall. And they didn't even scratch our names in the wall or anything. It It doesn't say for a good time call or anything. (laughs) Yes, yes, exactly. um, I I love this. I mean, it is it is great to just get those little tidbits. And, and in fact, Matt, I think you're you're double posted because your infographic is shared on there as well. But uh, what yeah. a great share, Alex. Thanks for that. And, you know, just just getting the information out, sometimes just trying to get teachers to read an email is, is difficult. You're like, I've got all these great tips and nobody's reading them. OK, put it right in front of their face where they can't ignore it and um, have some PD in the loo like Alex Adams. Captive audience. You can't avoid a captive audience. It's it's a good thing. So very good. Well, thank you, Alex, for that. And then we had a voice message from Amy from Nebraska, and she had something to say from our anniversary episode and one of the tools that was shared there. So Amy, take it away. Hey, Matt and Casey, Amy from Nebraska. I followed your podcast from the very beginning and appreciate your news each and every week with easy ideas that I can throw into my classroom the very next day. I um, really like the GIF. I have already 
recorded a couple to put into my LMS for different um, assignments or to just catch their attention as they are working on some things. So thank you for that um, tidbit from this past anniversary episode. No questions for you at this point. Keep on doing what you are doing. I appreciate the lessons and thank you for motivating me to really pursue integrating technology in a meaningful way. Um, and my students are greatly benefiting from it. Today, I had more teachers in my room than students for an observation, and the kids were engaged and doing very well, and that is in part due to what I have learned from you and your guest speakers. So keep it up. Thank you for the motivation each and every week. Amy, you found one of my favorite things from that episode too. The and then I was like dot co and being able to record those little animated gifts. That's that's so much fun. And I'm sure that when you use those with your students, that's that's got to be even better. So keep up the good work. Um, you keep listening to the podcast, and we'll keep recording them. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Amy, and uh, keep having some fun with those kiddos. The Google Teacher Tribe podcast is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. The Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. For more great education podcasts, go to edupodcastnetwork.com. So let's switch to the blogosphere for just a little bit and a couple of blog posts that might be interesting to you. I, not too long ago, was able to create a family feud style game that you could use in your class or use in professional development. It's basically just based out of a Google Slides deck and with some kind of like music and sound effects. And there's a really great buzzer app that, that we used. And um, you basically everything that you need to create a game like that. I mean, who doesn't love a game in a class or in a professional development? So if you're interested in checking into something like that, we have a link for you on the show notes. Oh, yeah. I could definitely have some fun with some family feud. We may, we may need to have a little bit of a feud going on here in the, the oh. tribe. Oh, that's a brilliant idea. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. We, we may, the gears are turning. Here we go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I have a blog post to share as well. And this one connects back to uh, last week's episode where we talked about insert learning. And so I go a little bit deeper in four ways to blend learning with the insert learning Chrome extension. So if you can say that three times fast, then you're golden. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but take a closer look and see how fabulous this Chrome extension is and uh, how to magically add a video to a Google Doc. Yep, you can do it with insert learning. So people have been asking for that one and it is possible. A um, little bit of a workaround, but go check it out. Yeah, didn't didn't Holly drop some real knowledge bombs and some great ideas during that that interview? I absolutely loved it. Oh yeah, it was like a permanent like mic drop, mic drop, mic drop. <laughs> you ran out of microphones after yes, a while. Yes, in fact, in fact, we did. And you know, I love Holly. She is a sweetheart and she's brilliant. So be yes. sure that you pick up a copy of her book, The Google Infused Classroom, that she co-wrote with Tanya Avrant. And I promise it will not disappoint. And you can get your Google on all. Day long. 
<laughs> yes, absolutely. And of course, if you enjoyed the show, uh, feel free to share it with other people. And of course, if you haven't, we would love it if you left a review on iTunes. That is a great way for other people to be able to find the show. So we would certainly appreciate that. And don't forget to go check out the show notes for the links to everything we shared today and all of those fabulous links to Holly's information as well at googleteachertribe.com slash 41. And we will see you on the next episode of the Google Teacher Tribe podcast. Bye, y'all. Thanks for listening to the Google Teacher Tribe podcast. Keep up with every new episode by subscribing on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, and by visiting googleteachertribe.com. Get in on the conversation on Twitter by using the hashtag GTTribe. Until next time, keep harnessing the G Suite power, and may the Googles be with you. podcast listeners. My name is Chris Nessie, and I'm the host of the House of EdTech podcast. The House of EdTech explores how technology is changing the way teachers teach and the impact that technology is having in education. My objectives include discussing technology that is changing our classrooms and schools and sharing information that you can hear about today and use tomorrow. I do this by talking with teachers, leaders, and creators just like you and having them share their stories. Why? Because whether you use it or not, technology is changing the way we teach and how our students learn. So I'd love it if you came over to chrisnessy.com and checked out the House of Ed Tech. Because using technology isn't difficult. Just give it a try. Thank you once again for listening to the Google Teacher Podcast Archive. For the latest on Matt Miller, be sure to visit his website, ditchthattextbook.com. For the latest on Casey Bell, be sure to visit her website, shakeuplearning.com. And to keep up with me and get the latest in education technology, be sure to visit my website, chrisnessy.com. And I invite you to listen to the House of EdTech Podcast.